Welcome to Mighty Buildings Podcast. Each episode features architects, home builders, and industry professionals sharing their experiences, failures, and successes. At the end of each episode, we'll dive into how Mighty Buildings relates to the conversation through our use of 3D printing, robotics, and automation. I'm Sam Rubin, the Chief Sustainability Officer and one of the co-founders here at Mighty Buildings. And it's my distinct pleasure to welcome today's guest, Darren Renaletti from the city of Oakland. Uh, welcome, Darren. Thanks for having me, Sam. Oh, it's, it's an honor and a privilege. I always love uh, when we get, have a chance to chat. Um, so you do some amazing work for the city of Oakland as a housing policy advisor to the mayor, but would love to hear about your journey and how you got there because it's kind of unique position to be in. Uh, sure. Um, so I uh, was born and raised in the Bay Area, and uh, you know I've always been really fascinated by places and uh, cities in particular. I consider myself an urbanist. Uh, I just love the the density and the diversity, and when you bring those two things together, really interesting things happen. Uh, that's why they are a center for things like culture and innovation. So I uh, studied geography as an undergraduate, um, and when I finished that, I uh, decided to focus on city planning. So I got a master's degree in city planning because I really wanted to help uh, contribute to cities and, and help uh, shape them in a way that were, uh, you know, uh, cities could be livable and sustainable and equitable and interesting and thriving. So uh, I found my way to the city of Oakland and have been there for about 18 years. Um, the first 15 years, I was in the city's planning and building department as a city planner. Uh, so I like to joke now that I'm a recovering city planner, uh, <laughs> but I, I did pretty much everything in that department. You know, I, I worked on small projects, reviewing people's plans to build new homes or add on to their home and um, you know, new businesses. Uh, I worked on major development projects and policy initiatives and got to a point where I was um, the interim director of the department for uh, about a year. That's about 150 people. And uh, that was everything from, uh, you know, development review to um, code enforcement to uh, building engineering and inspections. And I learned a lot. Uh, you know, that that environment is like, um, you know, you're doing a thousand things at once. You know, city planners are really generalists. We need to know a little bit about everything, whether it's construction, the environment, architecture, law, transportation, housing. And I just got to a point where, you know, I was really ready to focus on something. And um, in Oakland, um, we have been really impacted by the region's housing affordability crisis. Uh, it's taking a uh, unfortunately a tremendous toll on our community, and and I really wanted to devote my uh, attention to that. So Mayor Schaff um, wanted to um, really dive into housing and really attack that aggressively, and needed support in her office. So she created this position that I'm in, and I was very fortunate to to take that about two years ago, and. And I've been doing what I can to support her efforts to really promote housing security in Oakland, which means that everybody in Oakland should have uh, access to safe, healthy, affordable, and stable housing. Yeah, no, it's been been amazing. I mean, watching as uh, the prices rose in San Francisco and then turned Oakland into the fastest uh, rising uh, rental market in the country in terms of prices, uh, as everyone kind of fled fled San Francisco and over to the East Bay. Um, and so it's been, yeah, incredibly acute. And I, that makes me realize that when we first met that you, you, you were new in the job. 
Yeah, it's been a, um, a fantastic two years, a challenging two years. Um, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, uh, working with you, Sam, and everybody at Mighty Buildings and all the other folks doing really interesting things in Oakland. What I love about my job is that um, since I'm in the mayor's office, it's more of an outward facing position. So uh, I get to look to see what's going on in the community, look for interesting opportunities to partner uh, with folks uh, to try to um, solve our, our, sh- our shared challenges. That's that's wonderful. And I and just from having gotten to know you and talk with you, the city, the city is lucky to to have you in that role. I mean, your your passion for the city and for for what you do is just, I mean, you just exude it. One of the things we love learning about here is kind of what bumps along the bumps along the way that kind of got you to where you are. So this idea that on everyone's journey, there's points where things went wrong, but in the end, because of where they end up, they actually made it was, it was there was positives, and so we'd love to hear about maybe kind of sometimes some a point in your career where things went horribly wrong and how you kind of, and how you grew from that uh, and kind of, and what, how that help you become who you are today and, and, and do what you do. Well, I love my job and I love working at the city of Oakland, but I'll tell you, um, it is, um, it's a hard place to work. Um, you know, when you think about Oakland as a community, um, just really fascinating history, a beautiful physical landscape and a rich cultural ta- tapestry, uh, but there's a lot of needs uh, in the community, and there's certainly a lack of resources. Um, you know, we say in Oakland, we're more of a, a, a town with big city problems. Uh, and so that means that we're sometimes um, trying to do our work with, um, you know, our hands tied behind our back. Uh, it's two steps forward, one step back. And, um, you know, that that means that we have to get creative. Uh, I think along the way, um, I have learned that... Um, and you can't do everything. Uh, I, I think I'm sometimes frustrated by um, the you know inability to uh, really um, have uh, uh, quick and uh, effective results um, in the work, uh, and so that has really you know taught me to uh, prioritize and and really work on you know a narrow set of of initiatives that are likely to have a big impact on people's lives. Gotcha. Yeah. No, and you and I think that that speaks to one of the things that I, I love about Oakland, which is that and and obviously it's born out of necessity because it is often underfunded. It is often in a situation where it may not have the resources of San Francisco or some of the other places, and that's made it such an innovative place. And like this whole made in Oakland ethos. I mean, in terms of social innovation. I mean, the, the Black Panthers, uh, some of the so the protests we see here locally, and that's uh, for me. One of the things why it's so exciting to be here with Mighty Buildings and helping bring that housing innovation as a part of it. And give it. Speaking of that, I you get you've done some really cool things in the two years that you've been uh, been in the mayor's office, and would love to hear about some of the some of the initiatives you've helped spearhead and what you see, kind of the trends in housing that are really exciting you. Well, first, I want to start by placing Oakland in the context of um, you know, our regional dynamics. So Oakland is is one city of a greater San Francisco Bay Area region. There's 101 cities and counties. And um, you know, it's arguably the center of the global tech economy, right? So you have um, tremendous investment and in people moving to the Bay Area from all over the country and the world. And um, Tremendous job growth, lots of high wage job growth, but very little production of housing. So since uh, 2010, the region has only added one new home for every 11 jobs that it's created. And it's just created this tremendous imbalance. So um, all of that 
competition is putting tremendous uh, pressure on the housing market. And we've seen, you know, huge spikes in, in rents and prices. So in Oakland, since 2011, rents have increased 71%. Um, you know, many uh, Oaklanders can't afford that. And so, um, you know, they've been forced out of the city. Uh, some of them are forced out on the street. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Uh, we have a surge in homelessness. Um, and so it's 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 just important to remember that that regional context. So we can't solve the problem on our own, but there's a lot that we can do. So when the when Mayor Schaaf took office in 2015, she created something called the Housing Cabinet, which brought together uh, housing policy experts, uh, community advocates, um, you know, philanthropy, the private sector, affordable housing developers, for-profit housing developers, uh, city staff to come up with a strategy to address um, this uh, affordability crisis. And uh, the result was a, a long set of recommendations, many of which have been implemented. And um, one of those uh, recommendations really looked at the cost of building housing. You know, it's just ridiculous how expensive it is to build housing. It's about uh, $750,000 per unit in the Bay Area now to, to build wow. um, one unit. So, you know, obviously that's not going to be affordable to a lot of folks. So a um, couple of strategies that I'm um, leading in uh, on behalf of the mayor in our office to address that is um, looking at ways that we can build uh, housing uh, more cost effectively from two angles. One is uh, something called accessory dwelling units or ADUs, which is a, a terrible name for what people <laughs> often refer to as you know backyard cottages or in-law units, which are small homes, usually with a single family home. Those are uh, you know much less expensive to build. They uh, convey a lot of benefits to the owner, a lot of flexibility to the owner. The owner can rent that out um, and, and have supplemental into income. Um, you know, the, the, as the owner's circumstances change, they have that additional unit there. They could move into the unit if they need to. You know, a family member or a caregiver could live there. So it just really adds options to the owner, um, adds diversity to uh, the housing stock, um, and is a real cost-effective housing strategy. So that's one, accessory dwelling units. And then the other is really looking at um, how can we um, harness innovation in the construction space. And um, as you know, you know, um, construction as an industry just hasn't seen the kinds of uh, productivity increases that we've seen um, in, in other uh, areas of our economy. And so um, we're starting to see a lot more of that. And is there things that we could do as a city to be more innovation friendly, uh, so that uh, that's things like our uh, our codes, our processes, our you know permitting systems, and so right now we've been uh, engaged in some research to go through and identify ways that we can um, you know adjust our systems uh, to be a little bit more innovation friendly, which ultimately will allow us to deliver housing at a lower uh, price point and benefit uh, consumers. That, that's wonderful. And yeah, and then it's been awesome to see kind of how you guys have keep get out in front, of, in front of the state and then the state kind of jumps you and kind of you guys have this whole leapfrog thing going on ADUs. And it's it's clear that the state's drawn a lot of inspiration from the work you guys have been doing here locally um, and identifying great solutions. Um, and given that, along with ADUs, I'm curious, what, what do you see as exciting trends in housing or things that you think might really unlock uh, and what, what else is needed to achieve kind of some of those, those innovations? Well, I'm a policy guy. You know, I work for local government. Um, and uh, for me, it's just been um, fantastic to see a growing 
housing movement. You know, I think we need innovation in construction, but we also need innovation in policy, right? Mm -hmm. Those two things go together. And uh, we are starting to see this emerging, growing housing movement. You have the YIMBYs now, you know, yes in my backyard to counteract the NIMBYs, the no in my backyard. Um, I'm also excited about the, the, you know, the demands for racial justice and, and housing justice and, and how housing inequities uh, underlies so much of our inequities in society, whether it's education or the criminal justice or health or wealth. And so it's just exciting to see all of these things converging at one time. Um, and I, I absolutely believe that this housing affordability crisis can be solved. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, I feel really privileged um, to be able to be a part of that. Yeah, no, and I think it's the really important that you kind of uh, point you raise there, kind of the the racial inequity aspect of housing and one of the role it plays is in some of that social inequality. Um, I know where where I live in Sausalito, just over on the other side of of the bay, there are houses that still have covenants in the deeds. They're they're not enforceable, but and and so that's something that we're working on as starting to work on now as a community is social inequality that's directly tied to who got to buy housing where where from the shipbuilders back in the forties. Yeah, I think anyone who's interested in this topic, mandatory reading is uh, the book Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, um, and it lays out how um, you know the private sector and government uh, intentionally created this uh, segregated landscape uh, in the Bay Area and in cities around the country, and we are still living with the legacy of that. And I think that it is uh, our society's obligation and government's obligation uh, to unwind that. Yeah, no, and I think it's but that's been kind of one of the great things to come out of all the upheaval we've been seeing this year. Is I feel like in a way that hasn't necessarily happened before, that movement really is picking up, and they and they're kind of they are coming together, and people are beginning to recognize more and more that housing is a huge part of that notion of, and that wealth gap. Because in America, we have so much of our family familial wealth is in property; it's put into housing, um, and. I know that you've you've mentioned some of the, you've, you're doing work somewhat on because there's obviously a lot of people in Oakland who may be who may have that house, but because of the current economic situation, might not have the income that normally would have come along with that. And so I'm curious how to, with I know with ADUs like that's a big issue that we're looking at. It's like what ADUs are wonderful, but how do we make sure they're accessible to everyone? Um, and that and that's something I know you've thought a lot about. Yeah, ADUs are hot right now. Um, cities around the state uh, are doing a lot to promote them. Uh, the state has passed laws to make them easier to build. Uh, in Oakland, we've seen just the number of ADUs that are being built since 2016 has increased 10 times per year. So certainly there is um, demand uh, and interest. And you're absolutely right that uh, there's such a tremendous opportunity um, for addressing some of these uh, wealth inequities that we're talking about. So um, we've been very fortunate to um, have some city funding that we are working with some philanthropic partners to be able to provide financial assistance to lower income homeowners who would really benefit from ADUs. You know, ADUs, even though they're more inexpensive to buy than building you know, multi-unit rental housing, uh, so they're they're cost effective. They're still pretty expensive, um, and uh, you know a lot of particularly lower income owners. You might have us, you know, seniors living uh, uh, on fixed incomes. You know, don't have um, the same kind of access to that opportunity as others. So uh, we are developing um, 
a financial assistance package that would be available for lower income owners that would uh, not only provide the financial assistance, but also the project management assistance. You know, homeowners, they're not developers. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we need someone that sits on the couch with them or, you know, in COVID, you know, logs on to Zoom with them, um, goes over what their goals are, you know, what their financial situation is, you know, helps them pick a, an architect and a contractor or helps them, you know, order, uh, you know, a prefab ADU um, and go through the permitting process and the installation process. And, um, you know, that's something that I'm really excited uh, about doing. I'm, I'm hoping that um, we can demonstrate that that works and that we can grow that to stay to, to scale um, and the state will be interested and, um, you know, start 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 funding this uh, because I really believe that housing uh, is like infrastructure. Uh, and if, you know, society really wants to, um, you know, make sure that everybody has access to housing, uh, you know, we need to put our money where our mouth is and, and, and we need to start funding housing like we do, you know, roads and sewers and other critical infrastructure. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And that sounds like a really, really incredible program that is going to help, yeah, un unlock the value of ADUs for for a wider audience to really make sure that they're being deployed equitably. And I think that's a fascinating like way to look at housing as infrastructure because I know a lot of people talk about this idea of housing as a right, and what and this idea, uh, but to then look at it as infrastructure, I think is a is an interesting way of framing it. I, I, we're only got a little more time, but I would love to hear a little bit more about that that concept. Yeah, I think that. Um... If you look back to a previous housing crisis, um, after World War II, for example, you had uh, soldiers returning from the war, you had a baby boom, uh, tremendous housing pressure and demand and uh, housing scarcity, right? We weren't building houses during the war. Um, and uh, you know, the federal government said, hey, we need to do something about that. Uh, it subsidized construction, um, it built freeways, um, it provided mortgage assistance. Um, you know, it, it helped create and grow this middle class. Now, of course, it was extremely uh, prejudicial and discriminatory. Uh, it was focused on the white middle class, um, and it locked out people of color from that opportunity. But it shows that where there's a where there's a will, there's a way, and. Um, you know, when when government um, has that goal of um, you know, a uh, treating some 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 good some commodity as as a universal right, it can do it, um, and it's done it before in housing, and we can do it again in a way that's equitable, so so that everybody has access to that same opportunity. Completely agree, and I think that's that's a really really great point. Um, I think the the boom the post World War II boom obviously was considered the heyday for by many people of America, but obviously it was a heyday that left out a large portion of of our society. Um, and people of color, and and I think what you're what you're saying is really speaks to that reality and the fact that we have an I would argue that we as a society have an obligation to make that investment uh, and to and to try and rectify some of those those wrongs of the past in order to help the entire our entire society move forward together in a more equitable and more prosperous way. So I think I, I love I love that that way of thinking about it and kind of that role of government as a as a power for for helping solve that. Yeah, I think um, you know we've got to do something different. You know, the status quo is just not working, and I think that you know we need we need the societal will and the political will. And uh, you know, there's a lot of fear of change, but I think clearly uh, the status quo is not working, and uh, we need to do some things differently. Amen. And we're really excited to be working with you on that and and trying to and being a part of uh, changing how the world builds and helping Oakland. Uh, 
address some of those big issues as part of a more regional solution. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have for uh, this episode. But thank you so much, Dan Renaletti. Um, really always love talking with you and look forward to, uh, to the opportunity to do so again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me.